0: Warning, this episode contains discussion of mental health, self-harm, suicide, and suicidal ideation. If you or a loved one are in crisis, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255, or the Crisis Text Line at 741 I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred Project, and I am excited for our guest today. Steve Phillip is from Harrogate, England. Did I get that correct, Steve?
1: That's
0: absolutely right. North Yorkshire.
1: We got to get Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Okay. There, Jeff, sure. Part. Absolutely. County of Yorkshire. I was on
0: the map looking around to see where you're uh, where you're from, and uh, uh, last time I was in your backyard was about 15 years ago. But I will say I had a lovely experience. Um, had a chance to see a lot of. Um, a lot of Europe and uh that was great but we're not talking about that today we're going to talk about something that's uh near and dear to your heart and I have a saying that you've heard me say many times and that's purpose becomes passion when it gets personal and often in our life we get into some advocacy or some mission like a calling and it comes from the result of you know, for you and I, it was an unfortunate phone call. Your call came on December 4th, 2019. Mine came on October 4th, 2016. So, Steve, I think with that, why don't we uh, introduce you, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll we'll navigate through our topic today, which I do want to throw out there, and we'll have our normal uh, trigger warning out there that we're going to be talking about a sensitive topic today that affects many, 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 many people globally, a little bit less than a million per year globally. Um, nonetheless welcome
1: no thank you uh thank you jeff and uh, as you rightly say um kind of my story all began with with a, with a phone call which i'll come back to that that happened on december the 4th but uh, um yeah you know like uh many people i've spoken to over the last couple of years uh you know i'd spent uh 30 years working in uh, senior management, in consultancy, uh, I'd been the director of a leadership and management training company, working with some you know, large multinational companies and uh, and in 2009 kind of ploughed my own furrow, made a decision to set up a coaching practice uh, and my world for the past 11 and a half years up until uh, the end of 2019 had been to specialize in social media Mm. even though I'm not a young millennial you can tell that uh, from the video today um, (laughs) I kind of stumbled into it um, and LinkedIn particularly um, kind of understood the power of that and started going out to large businesses from Harley Davidson to Toyota to the British Red Cross and all kinds of law firms and business schools and universities and uh, not just in the UK you know had had clients kind of all over uh, the globe really um, scattered around and you know was showing them how to get the most from sharing their brand and their their business via various social media channels um never has that become more important to me than it is is now really uh, and um you know it was just such a day actually working with a large automotive group in the uk in, in the midlands here near, not far from birmingham there that i got into my car after a full day it'd been a um of full-on day mm-hmm. but a very satisfying day felt pretty good knew i'd got about a three hour journey back home at a busy peak uh, time on the on the motorways and um, yeah literally put my phone into the holder on the dash and uh got an incoming call from from my son's girlfriend um charlotte and um you know i had no reason to suspect it was going to be anything other than a call to see how you're doing i mean she didn't call often mm-hmm. um so it's maybe a little unusual, but. Uh, Now I, you know, I remember writing this in in an article that I published, you know, within a few weeks afterwards that the the call with Charlotte was logged at two minutes on my phone when I subsequently checked. I remember about the first 15 seconds Mm -hmm. of it when, you know, she just uttered the words and just said, "Um, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, Steve, it's Jordan. Um, And I don't know how many times she said sorry, but um, just said he's killed himself and... From that moment onwards, at four twenty-two on the fourth uh, of uh, December, um, my life just kind of changed out of all recognition, and that's kind of the background to to kind of why we're here mm-hmm. today,
0: Jeff. I, as you tell that story, I obviously hearkened back to my moment and relived it, and it was a phone call at six thirty in the morning, and I just remember, I just remember, like you said amount of time transpired but I only remember certain parts of it and there's a weird dynamic with this for anyone out there that's lost a loved one is it feels like sometimes it's been a hundred years but then sometimes it feels like a hundred seconds and it goes back and forth like an accordion like some days I the rawness of the pain is intense almost as the day it was when I found out that Seth had had been poisoned with fentanyl And I'm sure you go through the same thing and then you go periods of times where you feel like I'm doing really good, you know, and, and things are great. And I'm, I feel like my, my grief is, is, um, I'm not won this battle, but I'm certainly better off than I was. And all of a sudden, boom, something happens and you go right back to that rawness of that, that pain. And do you feel yourself playing that narrative and often?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a term that I've used very often this, you know, it, it, yeah, kind of it's it's two years plus now mm. and and yet yeah, it, it it can feel at times like two minutes right. um um it, it's an interesting one for me because it's something i i kind of challenge myself i have this internal dialogue with myself um you know i've just come away from a meeting this morning and part of a group of guides working together something i know we're going to talk about the baton of hope yeah i cannot wait to hear about that with and and you know, Mike, one of the uh, guys in our group there, uh, it's just literally a few days past uh, his son's anniversary. Wow. Ross took his own life, age 31, uh, on the 20, 21st of February, and um, last year. Uh, and you know, to what you know, he's still Mike in a lot of pain mm. and, and kind of really struggling. Absolutely. And it takes me back. You kind of look back to to 12 months on for us and. And uh, but also that, you know, I the internal dialogue I have with myself is that I do have these prolonged periods of time where you kind of think well, I'm doing OK. Right. I'm here. I'm having this conversation today. Right. You know, I'm not breaking down. I'm not, you know, not in a mess. Um, although there's always moments that happen during any conversation, I know. But um, I, and, I, and I kind of question that sometimes. It, it's odd. How, how am I able to mm-hmm. kind of function, particularly given what I'm dealing with every day in my new career yeah, let's call yeah. it that you know where I mentioned Jordan's name every right. second every minute of every day look at the photographs on the whether it's the website or talk about suicide yeah. or, you know um, I, I do have this internal dialogue with myself that says how are you able to um, to do that. I, and I suppose even question, is that right? That huh. might sound a really odd thing to, to yeah. listen to, but you know, sh- should I not be a complete mess? So it's, right. it's, there's some odd things kind of go through my head at time in relation to, to what I'm doing and, and what we've been through really.
0: I can certainly relate to that. And anyone watching this can relate to that as well. There's um, at times a sense of guilt, like I should be more tortured. Um, I should be an alcoholic. I should be you know, um, I should be into, I should be depressed. Uh, yet I haven't uh, allowed myself to participate in those traditional narratives. And so what attracted me to your story, and obviously a lot of what I'm doing in, as you, as you are as well, Steve is LinkedIn and you know, LinkedIn has been a really nice place to share our stories and get tremendous amount of uh, affirmation, support, validation, what we're doing. I've met some absolute And I got the hair standing up on my arm. I I mean some people that are just heroes in my eyes. And you do too every day. And people look at me, I would assume, as somebody that maybe fits that description that I survived these things. But then I look at people like you and Steve Grant and and all the people I've had on the show uh, in the past. Steve lost his only two sons to overdoses, Chris and Kelly. He was on my first... When I wrote my book, I consulted Steve and I, but Steve's children died 20 years ago before fentanyl, before all this stuff was a household name. And so I look at what you were doing on LinkedIn and I thought to myself, I have a choice to spend my days around people that are in misery, that are suffering, that are just, you know, being held back. Or I could find people like Steve Phillip, reach out to him, get to know him and i don't know where our relationship's going to go but your passion you have is helps me i mean you're a mentor to me steve and sorry if i get a little bit emotional but i need mentors you know i i i need people i can look up to and i know i provide that for people to look up to me and we're all fallible and even as recent as 4 or 5 months ago and i don't know if i've told you this but i had my first brush with suicidal ideation. And, um, maybe I'll share with you sometime off, off the, off the podcast, but yeah, yeah, but it worried me because I'd been through already the death of my son and my wife to alcohol, uh, and then was doing the podcast and all this advocacy, but I had a slip up and where I'm going with this. And I could ask you about your thoughts on this was I skipped some of my traditional ways that I was doing daily. I stopped meditation for about a week. I didn't work out for a week. I became overconfident that I had conquered this grief that I was going through. Do you find yourself each day sticking to a routine that you have to stick to? And if you took a shortcut, do you feel that you could possibly slip like I did almost four or five months ago? I just thought I'd throw that out there to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, And again, I, you know, maybe I consider myself to be a bit of an odd beast. I I, I don't know that, you know, I, my, my routine is, is, you know, a large part of the work that I do now. Um, So the routine is, yeah, get in, get to the desk at eight o'clock in the morning and, um, you know, work through till whatever, half five, six o'clock at Mm -hmm. night and just try and kind of switch off there. But, but, but yeah, I mean, there are no hard and fast patterns that I've had to adopt if you like to to keep keep me on track you know i was one of those people that that didn't really go for any counseling i, I did attend one and a half sessions mm. you know really at the behest of the family and 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 thought maybe i should and then kind of got there and didn't really know why i was there and and um couldn't see kind of the value or what it might how it might help did i did i need help right. you know uh, in the very early days. Yeah. You know, I experienced, you know, fairly significant trauma, um, uh, which manifested itself physically. So I, I knew then that I was going through what I was going through and struggling to sleep and all those things. But, um, but, but no, interestingly, I, yeah, you know, and I, you know, it says a lot perhaps for, you know, human resilience, generally the capacity that, that, that I think we all have, but I, but again, I have had this internal dialogue with myself that, that, Kind of says, you know, why haven't I had to adopt some very specific routines Mm -hmm. to to help me keep going? Um, And maybe I have, you know, maybe unconsciously, Jeff, um, I've done that because I I, again, I do kind of question what what allows me to to do what I'm doing in the way that i am and to function you know reasonably healthily, i would say in in most most cases you know don't get me wrong you know those moments will come you know as aware even lying in bed this morning yeah. and waking up and you know thoughts go to jordan as they do very often and and suddenly i felt the head twitch and thought uh, okay here we go mm-hmm. you know just take the thoughts away and, and I, I think what's helped me are a couple of couple of things one one is I suppose, the immense focus, distraction, let's call it, by doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. and kind of serving other people, perhaps. Oh. Perhaps that that has been able to take away from myself a little bit because it's often about other, other people now. Right. Um, But also the fact that I've kind of, you know, I have this routine that I do stick to, and now I think about it. It's it's part of my life every day, but, you know, behind me, uh, I'll just step aside a little bit. You'll see some framed small photographs um, and uh, just here, you know, a baseball cap of of Jordan's and uh, and, and a very well-worn photograph. um, And... You know my routine is is each morning. You know I hold that cap and and um, you know I squirt a bit of his aftershave that's still mm. left his cologne on there and wow. uh, you know smell that. And um, those photographs are actually of a really special trip that Jordan and I took to uh, to Italy to the Amalfi Coast uh, when he was first diagnosed with clinical depression just shortly afterwards in 2015. And we he wasn't looking forward to the trip because Jordan didn't look forward to anything. It was part of the depression and anxiety, right. but you know, he came away saying it's one of the best holidays he's ever had. And we just had a great, great time and really helped us to bond, you know, even even closer. Um, so my routine is, you know, each morning before I sit down to this laptop and start work is I talk about the day ahead with Jordan, what we've got hmm. planned and, uh, you know, what's what's been happening and um, before I go to bed each night. Um, my wife knows she's got to clear off out of the way. <laughs> then you know, I get upstairs and, you know, I'll talk to Jordan about the day. Um, yeah. And it kind of look, you know, at a conscious level, I know it's not Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm talking to. But, you know, has that helped? Um, it certainly hasn't harmed. Um, and, and maybe in an odd sort of way, the fact that I have that kind of dialogue um, and those other processes just allow me to... To function as I do. Or maybe I'm just an odd beast, Jeff. I don't no, know. No, I'm listening
0: to what you everything you do, even down to the cologne. I have some cologne of Seth's as well. And he uh his daughter was born three weeks after he died. Um and as far as I can understand, he wasn't hundred percent sure it was his daughter do- his daughter because they had broken up. Oh, right. So every time Brighton comes over, she's five now. Uh I say, you know, which cologne do you want to smell like, Daddy, today? You know, and she'll take it and she'll spray it and put it on, then she'll go show everybody. And so, that to me is just precious to have that opportunity. To now, I have a granddaughter that can, you know, I can remind myself. But I am kind of like you, I guess, is that I have try, have trained my brain to not really fall prisoner to some of these um, narratives that are so popular. Like one, one with grieving parents is. Uh, a forever birth, a forever date, you know, like um, I see a lot of parents saying, you know, they'll say, well, my son is forever 23, like the day he died. Well, I don't do that. So that's 28 to me right now. He's in my heart. I talk to him like, like, like you talk to Jordan. So again, these are just little things I've done that help me. And I think when, when you consult people and that's kind of what you and I do really, is we consult people to help them to get through these things. I always tell them whatever works for you. As long as it's not destructive, it's got to be constructive. You've got to be building yeah. towards something. You can't be drinking yourself. You can't be hanging around toxic people that are dragging you down. And I think there's a lot to say to that. let's let's do this. I do want to know more about Jordan. Um, you talked about depression, and one thing I was going to ask you is, you know, when I got the call that Seth had had died, I was not shocked. He had for five or six years been a substance abuser. He'd been incarcerated. He actually just got out of prison before he died. He was just, you know, spinning that, that wheel, you know, where death is, you know, on the wheel, and he kept spinning mm-hmm. it, and October 4th was his day that, that, you know, it was time. So even with Jordan's depression, did you have any inkling that this was something he would consider doing?
1: No, not at all. Not, not, not wow. for one minute. Um, you know, where there are other members of the family, and particularly his mother. His mother and I di- divorced um, back in uh, 2005, but you know, we we're all very close relationship. And her, her uh, background was as a senior psych nurse, mental health nurse for for more than 20 years, and uh, uh, and I think she would have had concerns, um, possibly more than me, um, and. You know, it's kind of one of the reasons why I do what I do now, and why I share what I do in the way that I do with people, is that you know I often say my my knowledge of mental health two and a bit years ago, on a scale of one to ten, was probably a good solid two. Yeah, agree. You know, I I, I didn't understand yeah. it really. um I had a son with depression, and he coped with that by going back to the doctors every so often for antidepressants. Mm-hmm. When he felt he was getting low, he didn't like to be on them, so he would come off. So he he would go unfortunately through a cycle that we know is not good mm-hmm. and we know that particularly it can be devastating of course um and um you know jordan was was jordan he could have his low moods but he kind of been like that you know uh, he he was you know lovely guy you know just uh, you know loving son and a uh, great mate uh, great friend to to have to to many um and and but he could have his moments where he was a bit low mm-hmm. and a bit quiet. But in some ways, Jordan to us had kind of always been yeah that, you were that used kind to it. of person. So we knew you know we'd obviously been through periods, particularly in 2015 when he when he was really at a very low point. Um But even then, the thought of suicide never crossed my.
0: Had you ever threatened? My mind? You ever you know, I didn't know. It? I'm one of these people who. Sorry, had you ever threatened or talked about it or.
1: Uh, he never talked about it, but we, we do know now, Jeff, um, you know, one of the things in the aftermath sure. of, you know, and I'm sure you've been through similar, you know, processes that, you know, we, we spent a lot of time at Jordan's house afterwards and getting it ready for sale mm-hmm. and clearing out his, his home, uh, he owned his own house. And, uh, you know, we found a box of belongings in mm-hmm. the, in the loft upstairs and, um, and there were journals, uh, from the years, mm-hmm. you know, they were never fully completed for a full year, wow. but. You know, they were maybe a month and a half, two months at a time, and they were really enlightening um, for us because they show Jordan's thoughts. They show his struggles with his own lack of self-worth mm. and lack of self-belief and, and lack of achievement in life. Um, um, but, you know, I remember one day just looking at a particular page as we read through. We brought the books home to our house here and... Um, and then I read that that line you know from 2015 in May bearing in mind that this is just a few weeks before Jordan and I went to Italy okay Uh, and that line that said I've been researching methods of suicide again today and I found this he puts a description of the medication there it's quite expensive uh some comment but but there it was in, in black and white so knowing what i know now you know we know that suicidal ideation is very rarely an impulsive thing it's something that's thought through Mm -hmm. it can take years to manifest itself to where it becomes an action and and very often it doesn't become an action a lot of people have suicidal ideation and don't take that step but but clearly this was something jordan had been considering you know for at least four or five years Mm. um and i would probably surmise you know before then as well, really. But no, never crossed my mind certainly for one minute and I don't think anyone else that knew Jordan uh, would for one moment have thought he would ever be considering anything like that at all.
0: So let's talk a little bit about uh, the parents and brothers and sisters and family members that suspect somebody's considering suicide. How do we approach them in a manner that is effective? And not be so dancing around the topic that we don't get to what we want to ask. And, and those are some of the tough questions. And, and on your on your profile, I noticed that this statistic is just absolutely jaw-dropping. 800,000 people a year globally take their own lives. That's by the time this podcast is over, we're going to have 60 humans have taken their life just by the time you and I get mm-hmm. done talking you know that 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 is just un- first of all it's un- it's unacceptable as a society that that we can't find ways to um have these conversations at at a at a more intimate human level to get to understand why, you know, people make these decisions. And obviously it's it's their choice, it's their life, you know, they they're, they they can do what they wish, but there's got to be other means to get out of these things. So I I can't remember my initial question I asked you cuz I got distracted by that 800,000 globally cuz to me that's just that's just um that's just not acceptable we have to figure out a way to make this better i know what my question was how do we talk to people that we suspect are having these these thoughts and not say the wrong thing that's my biggest fear of saying the wrong and then all of a sudden somebody does it and i'm like oh, i wish i never would have even brought it yeah. up it's like what's your well, suggestion your,
1: your question's really timely jeff not least because uh literally about 30 minutes before coming on air with yourself i've just Shared a post actually on LinkedIn on this very topic. I saw and, it. And, I saw uh, it. Yeah, yeah, a brilliant video by by Tom Robinson, a guy I got to, to know who's had his own struggles. But a couple of things, just just briefly to go back to those statistics for a moment. You know, one of the things I've realized is when you share the big numbers, the eight hundred thousands or whatever they would be, or there's so many million people starving in Ethiopia or wherever it may be, those numbers are, are often too big for people really to get their head around um uh, and often i fear they they can wash over people but when you kind of break it down and say look it's one person every 40 seconds Hmm. takes their life you know I, i can kind of relate to that much much more um so when you break it down to more manageable numbers i think it suddenly hits home to people much much more um so interestingly enough where i was kind of sharing the big numbers um historically you know when i started out i've kind of moved now more towards the the very specific
0: Hmm.
1: kind of numbers um there um that people can get their head around really so that's that's one thing on the statistics in terms of having the conversation um um i think without question what this is about now is just trying to i've got to use the word normalize Mm -hmm. it seems an odd word to talk about normalizing a conversation around suicide because to most people it would not seem a normal conversation to have Mm -hmm. but look we're not that many years past you know where we wouldn't talk about cancer Mm -hmm. you know cancer was not a word anyone wanted to mention that they they had so so the big c i remember Mm -hmm. you know very popular I think it was a U.S. drama, if I remember uh, rightly, the big C. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, but um, we have to get to the point with suicide that we are with cancer. Now, we have to recognize it as uh, the manifestation of uh, an illness, if you like. Quite often, mental health, not exclusively so, but right. the majority are. Um, but we have to start being able to have this conversation very up front. Um, and... You know, you you asked very specifically about how would we have that conversation. It's one of the things that I coach and share and talk about now with with organisations and groups that I speak to. Um, I think there are a number of steps. I think the the steps are that we need to become more attuned and more alert to people who are possibly struggling, Mm -hmm. possibly feeling suicidal. The obvious question there for anyone listening to this would be, well, how would I know? You know, what are the, the signs? Well, there are, you know, very clear signs and you know there's a lot of material out there now online and and uh, you know that'll talk about just changes subtle changes in behavior Mm -hmm. you know which can be from you know lack of sleep to suddenly drinking more to low mood to just the way someone's not keeping you know themselves presented in the way that they they would have done before um you know there are lots of signs that would tell you that somebody is not behaving in a way that they would have done before uh, and that would prompt uh, a conversation to take place
0: yeah i think one of the issues is that we have a tough enough time being attentive to our own issues how in the world can we be attentive to somebody else's and again that's that's a disconnect yeah, that's a yeah. disconnect we have in society with social media with people's uh, uh, illusion that they can do five to seven tasks simultaneously successfully, which we now know that humans can do about two consciously. And, and so you look at social media and where that's played a role in, especially adolescent uh, suicide. I was going to throw this at you to ask you about some of the societal issues and, and where's this hopelessness coming from? Where is, the, where is the thing that says somebody, I have no other option than to do than to take my own life that that seems to me that um there's a sense of hopelessness there that they just don't see any way out of this other than that way uh yeah i think that's a fault as a society as in a a way that we've just kind of painted ourselves in this corner with especially imposter syndrome and gaslighting and all these things that you can see that are perpetuated on social media especially towards the kids and you and it's probably no wonder why we have a lot of depressed anxious uh, adolescents today. And I know Jordan was 31, uh, but it seems like he had, Yeah, he's studied no, he's 30, he's 34. 34 yeah, I'm sorry. 34. Sorry. Um, but he's, I'm sure these things manifested when he was, you know, 18, 19, 20 as well. Um, hmm. so I thought, I just thought, I thought, I thought I'd ask you maybe what your thoughts are on, on social media and in influence on depression, anxiety, and, and, um, why kids feel that yeah. that's, a, that's yeah. a viable way to deal with their problems. I, I, you know we, we know that the issues around suicide
1: are very very complex you know there's no one reason you know we often look for a reason don't we certainly as bereaved um, families uh, when we've lost a loved one you know what, what was the reason and it, it's far more complex and with my much better understanding of mental health and, and suicidal drivers now because being immersed in this subject you know I can see um, you know, potential um drivers and events through Jordan's life from, you know, very major traumatic events in his life. Um we're not talking about abuse or right. anything like that here and and certainly Jordan wasn't into excessive amounts of alcohol or drugs or anything like that at all. Um but, you know, he had we had some significant moves um to, to uh, when we moved to Canada when he was very young and then decided not to settle there several years later to come back. Um um we know he had issues of being bullied at school yeah. when he came back to the uk because he stood out and was a little different um there were early kind of teenage relationship issues mm-hmm. the breakdown of his parents marriage mm-hmm. you know there are a number of, of things that we you know we know that a kind of a build-up of these types of traumas through that particular adolescence and teenage early 20 years you know can have a big impact on um people um uh as they as they grow older so so you know to some degree and coupled with that jordan was quite a sensitive type of of lad and had been from a from a young age uh we know there was you know potentially more risk let's say um that jordan might have chosen that path compared with mm-hmm. other people and, and but it's very you know it's very very complex um, but if you look at the societal issues, you know the question you asked there. Then, you know what is it? Why are we losing? Why is suicide the biggest killer of young men under thirty-five? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's the stat. Forget the eight hundred thousand globally, just just for a moment, um, because it's hard to put faces to that. But I want you to think of young men, age thirty-five. Think of any young man, you know, age thirty-five and younger, and our own boys, um, and think that suicide is the biggest killer so not road traffic accidents not cancer not heart disease not diabetes um it's suicide so let's put that into perspective for a moment what are the pressures that are driving young men and young women as well you know to determine that that is an outcome for them and a lot of it is societal pressures that we've created so from a male perspective something that we've often referred to as toxic masculinity this caricature of a of a man that's been created from our previous generations Mm -hmm. the men are supposed to be the breadwinners the leaders they're supposed to behave in a certain way um and and when they can't do they obviously feel they're falling falling short um we've got the the pressures of having to succeed now you know my day going to university was something that a kind of a top echelon of kids did Now there's an expectation that everyone goes to university. Everyone takes on that student debt here in the UK that lives with them almost uh, forever that most feel they're never going to pay back. We have a property market um, here, particularly if you live in somewhere like London in the UK, that most young people getting their first job have not got a hope of getting on the property market. And if they do, they've got another huge pressure and and a huge burden. And then we move towards things like social media for example where everybody portrays their best self usually and everyone makes comparisons with themselves against the best self of other people Um, and and the moment we can't compare in how we look and what we're doing and where we're going on holiday and the cars we drive and all these things you know there are added pressures there and most of these experiences take place, uh, you know, at, at, you know, from anywhere from teenage years through twenties to a point where you get to early thirties, where you're kind of looking at your life. And now I'm, you know, I'm looking back to Jordan's journals now and what he wrote about, you know, what he hasn't achieved yet in life and where he felt he should be. Hmm. You know, my question to Jordan would be what, what measures were you using? Right. Because you had a whole bunch of friends that would look at you as being the guy who traveled right. to the Far East and did all sorts on his own, that had a great job, had a beautiful girlfriend, had his own house, yeah, own sure. car, um, that, that was the guy that lit up the room you know, at the parties or wherever it was. To the outside world, Jordan had everything going for him, and yet something was telling him inside that he wasn't good enough. Uh, and it's complex you know as I say it's very very what what led over the years to Jordan you know getting to that point a whole bunch of things Hmm. really and and you used a really important word before Jeff and and that was hopelessness you know we know there's some some um, very extensive studies done into to suicide and not least by Professor Rory O'Connor from the University of Glasgow over here uh something he's been doing since the mid mid 90s a real pioneer in many respects with understanding suicide and and how to prevent uh suicide um and within the model that he's developed there are are two specific areas he said that that are that tipping point if you like it's this sense of entrapment Mm -hmm. and that can be i'm trapped in My relationship, I'm trapped in my job, I'm trapped with my finances, I'm trapped within my body, who I am, whatever it might be, um, which often leads then to a sense of hopelessness. And once that sense of hopelessness takes over, that's the danger point then where we need to find a way to help that person find hope again um but certainly entrapment and hopelessness are the two major driving factors there
0: you know i hate to use the word terrified but you know as a parent now my my youngest two sons now um was jordan your only child or do you yeah you have um you have um no 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 we got danielle, danielle. he's yeah. working with us i was us gonna now, ask you about jordan her she's a rock star Dawn's too skin. she's awesome uh, I see her all the time. <laughs> yeah, don't forget post. Danielle. She'll be uh, <laughs> you know, she'll be tweeting. She'll be tweeting this afterwards. Hi Danielle, uh, you're doing great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I love what she does to help uh, promote your advocacy. But before I get into your advocacy, uh, I kind of want to go back a little bit to about the mental health initiative that I know you have a few mental health initiatives going on that I want you to talk about. And then we're doing one over here with the Living Undeterred U.S. tour. But when you look at collectively. Um, the mental health challenges we have as, as a, as a, as a society, you know, you have like, for example, here in the States, and I'm sure it is the same way, uh, where you are with fentanyl, uh, poisoning, um, right now in the States, it's the number one killer of Americans from 18 to 44 is overdose. Mm-hmm. And when Seth died, it was like 56,000 Americans died last year. It was 104. So it's gone up hundred percent in five years. And then you throw in suicide, which, you know, you start looking at the statistics and I got them here because I have to do a presentation, but uh, 132 Americans die each day by suicide. uh, And 1.4 million Americans attempt suicide. So you have that now coupled with the overdose. And then you throw in alcoholism, which took my wife, uh, 95,000 Americans die each year by alcoholism, which is 261 a day. So you start looking at overdose suicide alcoholism putting into put it into a into a box and you look at the collateral damage the lives that are affected i can't imagine that every single human being you and i interact with every single human being isn't going to have a story that fits either overdose suicide or alcoholism either themselves or somebody they know so you and i are talking to a massive audience unfortunately that needs to uh have a spotlight shining on these things constantly and so that is my segue to your adv- advocacy let's talk about let's talk about your programs now i want to get to the um the baton idea that you have which you just told me about last time we talked which i'm just like i think i may fly out there <laughs> i may have to i'm so interested in promoting this for you over here and uh and uh, doing i can to, to support you but you're um your uh your Jordan legacy that you have right now, your conference that you have. You know, let's talk a little bit about what Steve Phillip is doing to advocate for suicide awareness uh and let's kind of wrap up the next 20 minutes talking about what you're doing um to turn this horrendous event into something that is you know, beautiful and I'm I'm on what you do. Good. No, thank thank you, Jeff. And and, and you know, I totally agree with you about
1: shining a spotlight um you know i've heard this very eloquently said particularly by mike who i referred to earlier who lost his son ross and you know when he talks about this this statistic of of suicide being the biggest killer of young men under 35 he said that if if they were dying at that level by any other means there would be a government outcry yeah. and campaigns you know to to stop it's this a stigma, but, but right? somehow because it's suicide it, it's just not on the agenda or not at the level it should be and not under the spotlight. So so certainly, yeah, I think if you look at what are we doing at the Jordan Legacy, it is about turning that spotlight brighter and brighter. Um, look, When I set out on this journey, um, probably just coming up to two years ago, but didn't really formalize the Jordan Legacy till the October of uh, 2020. Um uh, yeah, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I, I kind of latched onto the shirt tails of uh, a couple of people that came along for the ride who knew much more than me. Mm-hmm. And, and very quickly, we, we kind of understood that w- what the Jordan Legacy wasn't going to be about was was we, we didn't want to just be another crisis website and a helpline and right. people there to, to talk and listen. There are lots of fantastic organisations and many of those are on the resource pages of our jordanlegacy.com website. But you know, once I got to understand more about the global suicide community, where people were taking practical actions within communities and workplaces to to look at, you know, how what are the practical things we can do to prevent suicide, not necessarily the the medical or the psych, psychological things. Uh, you know, what are the practical things we can be doing now? That, that kind of lit my fire a little bit because I realized we could go out and talk to communities, to, to groups, to schools, to sports clubs. I realized I could go and talk to organizations and say, look, what are you, what are you doing? You know, what's, what's your process? Mm-hmm. If, if, you know, do you know how to identify someone who might be struggling? Right. And if you did, would you know how to have that conversation and approach them confidently? So a lot of what we do is, is, is around that, but we, we very quickly established four layers within our own zero suicide strategy. And that was taken as a benchmark and a template for what's worked successfully globally, particularly in places like Detroit in the States and over here in um, Mersey Care and over in Australia. And that was to say, there are kind of four areas that we think we can make a difference in. One is in the community, generally, all those places I mentioned before, within workplaces mm. to the obvious places where we, you know, we all spend a lot of time, Um, But then there were two other layers. There were one that kind of looked at um, designing out the process for suicide, which might sound an odd thing. Um, That was initially a concept that looked at any process that might lead to someone taking their life, but was very quickly adopted by the construction industry um, Mm. around infrastructures and places, outdoor places particularly where people might choose to take their own Mm. lives. Uh, How can we you know, design out future buildings, future bridges, uh, car parks to make them less accessible rather than what we're having to do at the moment, which is put barriers and signs up on existing, sometimes very beautiful looking buildings um, in order to prevent, what can we do to design out the future? So that was a really interesting area. And we've run a number of live conferences in all these areas uh, online over the last year. Um, And the other area was the digital world you know what is happening in the digital world how can we embrace technology from ai to some of the apps that are out there uh, both those that are already being used around mental health and suicide prevention we know many of the apps that are there now but also how could we learn from technology that's been used for other reasons and purposes in other sectors that could be transferable and used within our um, industry so you know, one of the examples of that is on construction sites, someone we know who's developed a, a beacon monitoring system that, that can basically tell, you know, it's, it's somebody on a construction site that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Now, that would have been once upon a time used to prevent people getting onto sites who just shouldn't have been right. there and, and arresting them or whatever. Now, of course, we they're looking at patterns of behaviour at, at weekends when construction sites are closed and saying, what are the patterns we're seeing through beacon with people accessing scaffolding and things like that, mm-hmm. and and you know, with the intention possibly of taking their own lives, so there's a lot of transferable technology. So we kind of look to the four areas of workplace, community, designing out, and digital and tech with human support. Um, run a number of online events, and we we're, we're, we're going to be growing further with the Jordan Legacy in the next year or two to get people to kind of lead those particular areas. The big event for us, we finished 2021 with our Hope for Life conference, yeah. which was kind of a pulling together of everything we've done so far um, to have some great, inspiring speakers who'd been through really tough situations. Was that in a virtual conference or
0: was side. that an actual conference? Re- yeah, that was a face-to-face. Great.
1: So that took place in Harrogate. First great. time we've been able to do that, really. Um, and we had 130 people uh, attend the event physically and then we beamed it out via linkedin live and facebook live to a to a wider audience so you know that was a real powerful end to the year and then you know within our kind of group of people there was a conversation around well, what happens next yeah and and that really led to you know the baton of hope uh, as you mentioned or in the states and australia the baton of course (laughs) i need to pronounce that correctly um and and that really came a, 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 from a point of view of how do we really step this up? How do we really raise awareness? And, and the conversation just got around to the London 2012 Olympics. And the huge um, event that took place in the lead up to the Olympics, which was the torch bearing processions mm-hmm. where people with powerful stories in white tracksuits in different cities around the UK carried the torch and passed it on to one person to another. People came out on the streets. It was on st- Screens, big screens, small screens, uh, just brought everyone together in a way that hadn't been seen before. What was also important was what the London Olympic Committee did and grew probably better than a lot of other cities was that they left this fantastic legacy afterwards uh, where all these um, uh, centres that were used uh, uh, and all the goodwill and everything that happened was then carried on. Uh, afterwards to, to leave a legacy so the flame kept burning for longer than just that sure. summer of 2012. So the Baton of Hope, really, really simple. It is going to replicate what happened at London 2012, where the Baton is going to be carried uh, most likely by people bereaved by suicide or with a very slow, um, very close connection to that. Um, and it will be passing through all the regions of the UK, And in all those regions, we're going to be looking for leaders and champions in that area to put on events uh, in their region and area. And whether this is live music festivals, whether this is kids at school, whether this is talks in Mm. county halls or wherever it is, whether this is people sharing, most importantly, examples of what they're doing to save lives and prevent suicide where there's evidence it's working. We really want to support this statement that, a lot of the experts will share and most of us absolutely believe that with the right interventions, most suicides are preventable. Uh, and that's where we're coming from. So we want to be able to demonstrate and, if you like, qualify that statement through evidence as we go around the country. So what will happen afterwards is, is that this baton will end up in a place of some meaning. There's a lot of talk about whether this will be the Houses of Parliament. And the legislative office there so the legislators see this with a mandate and a charter from the people uh, so there's a reminder for them every day but it will be a meaningful place and then we will have replica battens around the country and events that will take place each year afterwards yeah yeah you know, i've just come off a meeting this morning with someone who we've been looking for um who has experience of working on the london 2012 campaign another fairly significant uh, political campaigns here. Um, he's been riding at the sharp end. And, uh, you, you know, we I was really emotional at that meeting this morning because uh, we had our steering group, Mike, that I mentioned, and Ian and Paul and Danielle, yeah. we were there. Yep. And I won't give away who this person is just, just yet because we, we're, we're kind of decompressing from that meeting sure. this morning. But I looked at the nods and the smiles uh, around the Zoom call this morning, and you know if we were excited about this before we were kind of through the roof by the end of this conversation this morning because for the first time we've we've found this route that's going to make this yeah. this happen we believe because it's it'll be someone working with us that's been on that journey before um and um it was quite spooky the similarities of what he'd been involved with before and and what we're doing so This is by far going to be the biggest suicide awareness and prevention event that this country has has ever seen. There won't be anything like it at all. And the interest already is gathering pace over here, which is really exciting. As
0: I listen to what you are saying, uh, I am taken back to the beauty of vulnerability and the power that being vulnerable can create the velocity that telling your story can manifest and just become this thing almost out of control and I notice it when I tell you know what happened to to, in our situation and then you open that door and then people take it and I'm sure I'm sure when you talk to strangers or people that don't know anything about what you're doing and then they ask a question what do you do and you're like how much time do i have you know it's like how do i how do i answer that question without taking this without scaring this person away because i want to talk about this for hours you know if someone asks you what do you do you know then you realize okay now is my chance i'll crack the door and then i'll let them tell me their story and that's that's i think the real beauty of what what you and and myself and all the people you and i meet that have taken this initiative to become vulnerable but then again. If we're not, this would be eating you and I from the inside. And and then this would become, you know, our downfall instead of our, you know, mm-hmm. what, instead of what defines us, this would be our downfall. And I think people can look at what you're doing. I look at you and I think that's absolutely awesome what you're doing. And just two years ago, you know, uh, he passed away in 19. So, um, yeah, two, what, two years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you never envisioned or imagined that that this would be your kind of your why in life and you're living proof steve that horrendous things can happen but they certainly don't have to be the beginning of the end of of you and i have to think you're going to spawn a lot of people that you know i i want copycats and so do you you know we want advocacy there's no competition out there and sometimes you meet some people that uh, I know I have in some of the things we've done where I don't think they feel threatened, but I think they they don't see this as a group a group effort. You know, I, I have no ego in this thing, and I, I'm sure you don't either. And as you're going across with your baton, or how, how you say it, um, baton or <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 no, that's um, pretty close. That's you good. know,
0: you're going to be running into people that are going to say, "Well, Steve, you know, I I wish I had the desire to do what you're doing. I wish I had maybe the time. I wish I had the the knowledge level, but I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to carry that that baton, or for a while, you know. I want to support you, and so I'm proud of what you're doing. I think it's unbelievable, and I think I think what you're doing. You say it's going to be the biggest one there. There'll be something bigger down the road that you have you have spawned. Somebody will jump on on your back and, and do something. At the end of the day, some you know middle school kid sitting at his desk at school, drawing pictures on a piece of paper that are you know cryptic because he's considering taking mm-hmm. his own life maybe that kid somewhere along the line, somebody you touched, uh, that kid will decide that today's not the day I'm going to do this. You know, I'll kick that down the road to to tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And Uh, I applaud you. I applaud you and Danielle and everybody you're doing at the Jordan legacy to bring these attention, bring attention to this, um, you know, this, this epidemic really, if you think about it. Uh, and it's so unnecessary. Thank thank you.
1: Yeah. It's, um, (sighs) It's difficult. Well, you know, even a statement like that is so unnecessary yet. It, it, it's almost like a, frust- a statement of frustration, isn't it? And I ab- absolutely get it. Uh, I think, you know, the important thing to kind of just turn that around a little bit finally is that um, there is another path. There, There is, you know, I think and it's easy to say, look, there is hope when you're speaking to someone who feels they have no mm-hmm. hope. But but sometimes just being able to to calmly say that you know to someone to say look i know you can't see this right now absolutely get it but there is hope and you know if you'll let me we'll we'll help you find that that hope you know that that is yeah that's really
0: important i just want to give you a hug i I I want to give you a hug to the end (laughs) i just want to reach out (laughs) i just want to reach out and give you a hug man i i um certainly i certainly um the weight of your tears, uh, shift, you know, and it used to be full of pain and sorrow and now it's full of hope and inspiration. And I admire, I admire the way that that you can look at that. But before we leave, I thought I'd ask you if, if there was one thing that you could change about the stigma behind people taking their own lives, even the word committed now, I, I love that, that you guys have taken that word off the table and I'm, I don't have suicide that's affected me, but it has by knowing you and some other advocates. But I've taken that committed suicide off the table and I'm starting to affect, I'm starting to have that influence on people around me because committed sounds like you committed a crime. And, you know, that would be one stigma I would like to see changed for what you're doing. What would be one or two you can think of that come to mind that you, if you could be king for a day, you could eradicate eradicate a certain stigma or two, what would it be in regards to suicide?
1: Yeah, I think it's just, it's one really, Jeff, it's one big one. And, and it was summed up really by, you know, the person we were speaking to this morning at the meeting who, you know, had had his own mental health struggles and he kind of summed this up really well. Uh, and he said, you know, what, what this battle is going to be about is, is breaking down this stigma to allow this conversation to happen. Um, and he said, look, you know, when I was going through the stuff that I was going through and he said, I was very nearly one of those statistics mm-hmm. we've talked about. He said, he said, he said it wasn't a case that i was looking for professional support or help i i kind of knew there were places out there he said what i really struggled with was being able to tell my friends and my mates because i thought they would judge me and and or you know or wouldn't take me seriously or whatever so i think what you know the biggest goal we can all aim for is to normalize this conversation to recognise that this isn't just a cry for help for somebody who's having a bad day. This is someone who's really, really concerned and we all need to be able to... Oh, I, I hate to use this word because I think it's kind of thrown away so often, but but it is the word kindness. I think if we're all just a little kinder to each other, a little bit more tolerant and, hey, we're all living busy lives, we're all stressed out. I get stressed out behind the wheel of a car, you know, mm. and, and, and calmer probably than I was a couple of yeah. years ago and a little bit more considerate about what that person might be going through because I was that guy two years ago driving a car when my mind was numb probably should never have been on the road after what had happened and yeah. I just hoped somebody would forgive me for forgetting to turn the traffic uh turn you know the indicators on or turn signals um or whatever I didn't do that day um and I think we just need to kind of Always just consider that someone might be behaving a little differently, a little oddly in our view, but maybe they've just got some stuff going on. Oh, spot on. And if we could just listen, ask the question and listen, maybe we just all have a very different perspective. That's a big ask. Right. (laughs) But it's, you know, you said if I had this magic wand or whatever it would be, king for a day then yeah we would all including myself be just a little bit more patient a bit more tolerant a bit more considerate and as Stephen Covey famous Stephen Covey once said let's all seek to understand first
0: yeah when you think of somebody that you see that reacts in a you know like you cut them off by accident let's say and they flip you off or something and you're with your kids you know the initial inclination a lot of people is to flip them off back, you know, and get mad back at them. But when you're with your kids, you can use that as a moment of saying, Hey, that person may have just lost their job. They may just got the divorce papers sent to them. Uh, they may have just lost their business in a bad investment deal. You know, we don't know anything about that person. So, you know, and you can teach your kids though, in those moments. So kids will end up kind of maybe emulating you when you get older. If they see how you react in these situations, that's kind of the one, the way we can start, moving the needle in these to make our society more compassionate more empathetic you know empathetic um which i think is certainly a good starting point that we all can control i mean i i can't control what other people do i've
1: lost you completely okay um don't know if you can still hear me yeah i
0: think i think we're okay yeah there you go um molly texted me and say back
1: sorry i I lost
0: audio and that's uh, a video uh molly said that she uh she can edit this and i think uh the 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 local the local recording will be good to go but yeah, we can we can wrap this up but i think what i'd like to do is uh talk about we talked about empathy and compassion as ways that we as individuals can contribute to trying to change the the narrative and move the needle more understanding of what people are going through so when someone's having a bad day maybe you know arm on their shoulder anything i can do to help you instead of just immediately getting getting upset and then being more attentive, more you know, being a better listener, you know, to what people are going through, instead of always wanting to tell our situation, it's like, yeah, but you know, you got a great story, Steve. But let me do, and you start going into your narrative. I think we need to get a little, all of us need to get better at just letting people talk, and sometimes venting, you know, letting it all out. Uh, yeah. As we wrap up the show, what's next? What, what do you have? Uh, what's on the plate for you next? Do you have a book? Do you have a movie? Uh, yeah, I,
1: well, I, yeah, I'm some weeks behind uh, on, uh, on chapter three of, of, of the book. Um, uh, I, I've got to find a way to, to get into that. But but things are just so busy. Um, we've got um, our next kind of online conference coming up on March the, the 29th. Not, not great timing for our US audience. Need to rethink that one next time. It's 11am UK time, but <laughs> we're doing another online conference uh really important one this it's around um from our community strategies around schools and young people um and what you know we we lose in this country 200 pre-high school children to suicide mm. every year you know mm. um you just that's just unreal isn't it when you think Makes about you that and, um, yeah. you know i just got a message from a lady this morning who messaged me on on linkedin and you know she'd lost her 14 year old son to suicide um last april and you know, so we are losing kids to, to suicide and, and too many of them. Um, so it's a panel discussion event. So I'm kind of planning for that. It's my next task immediately after this is just to, to update the Eventbrite page. You know, we're really kind of pleased at, at the response our events have, have had really over the last year. We've, we've already got 100 and 60 people registered to attend mm, this on March the 29th great. we're a month away yet and uh, so I think we're going to have another three or four hundred people attending this event um, with some really great panel experts talking about issues relating to young people and and uh, school children now and mental health and suicide so that's going to be interesting so I've, I've, that's a bit of focus but uh, yeah the, the baton at the moment is the big focus we we are at very early days once we get the momentum and things start falling in place but we have to get the the fundamentals right in terms of uh, the national strategy for it uh, and then we can start reaching out to the to the regions and the communities who are chomping at the bit want to get involved with this how can we help and we're not quite ready to let them know how they can help yet mm-hmm. but uh, so we've got a few weeks ahead of really getting all this nailed down because um, you know we're looking at may 2023 that's not that far away. I, I can understand our our tour size.
0: starts on May 9th of this year. And I, we yeah. started the planning of it last May. So it, you yeah. know, I certainly can relate to that. And it's, it's terrifying to think how you're going to pull this off yet. That's what makes it exciting and exhilarating is building it. And we have a saying, and I'll, I'll end with this. And I'm sure you can relate to this is we're building the boat on the water, you know, we're not trying to build this thing and then shove off we're like we're out in the water hammers and nails trying to build this boat and that's kind of how i look at the the tour that we have coming up but uh listen i've i'm honored to be in your presence today uh i i'm happy to call you a friend now and um i'm certainly a massive advocate and a beacon of hope out out here across the pond for you and i i'll do what i can to support you in the best ways i can and when we're on our tour i want to find a way i can I can link you in at one of my presentations and have you say a few words. Uh, we have three or four of our stops right now. We have 30 states on board for our U.S. tour. Uh, we've got some really big, big name, Like you said, we've got some huge facilities involved.
1: Yeah, I've, um, I've been tracking some of what you're doing, Jeff. Just amazing. Absolutely. But I want to
0: find a time on one of our stops that's going to be a, a, a key on, on suicide awareness. And I have a couple right now that we can bring you in on a Zoom and pull it off with the time zone difference and all that. Have you say a few words to the audiences and talk a little bit about the issues you're having uh, over there? Because we get so over, we get so wrapped up in what happens in our own countries that I see that number. I know 800 is a big number for us to wrap our hands on, but 800,000 people globally. That's again, that's just, that's just too many. Um, There's gotta be, I always say, and I, again, I'm no expert in suicide and, and maybe you can help me on this, but if there's a way you could, you could, you know, resurrect those that had taken their own lives my guess is that almost all of them would have regretted that decision well we know we know that to be true jeff because of the
1: studies done with people who've attempted Uh, and that's a whole different discussion but yeah we we know we know that most occasions that is the case yeah
0: well you're making a massive difference and i love you like a brother and um appreciate what you're doing and keep living undeterred which i don't think you're ever going to have a problem with that so with that thank you thank thank you for being on the show and where can people reach you
1: Uh, yeah yeah, the best way is probably um either through linkedin so steve phillip i think you yeah my name's spelled correctly (laughs) on the screen there two l's one p no s at the end of my last name (laughs) all the things that. All the things that people get wrong, they even call me Phil, you know, <laughs> with, so Steve Phillip on, on LinkedIn, you can find me, um, cause it's slightly unusual spelling
0: and, uh, yeah, the jordanlegacy.com website. All right. Well, I'll tag everybody when I post this and again, have a great rest of your day and keep up your advocacy and, uh, keep living undeterred, my friend.